0: All right, we are uh, in a second week of love relationships. We're just going to talk about relationships for the month of uh, September, good grief, the month of February. Uh, We started last week with brothers and sisters uh, in Christ, our church siblings, so to speak. Uh, And we talked about last week in that, that in those relationships, in our relationships with each other as believers, that no matter what, I've got your back. That's what we looked at last week. So. Uh, Again, looking at different love relationships. This last week was church siblings, This week is marriage. Uh, Next week and the week after will be friendship. And then those outside of the church is where we're headed with those things. So today we're looking uh, at love relationships, specifically marriage. And I know that as soon as I say that, some of you, whether you're here listening or you're at home listening, you you, you click off when you hear that. Because either I'm widowed so how could this apply to me, or, or I'm too young to worry about marriage, so this doesn't really apply to me, or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I got up, and I got ready, and I braved the cold, and I got out on this stuff, and now you're going to talk about something that doesn't even really apply to me. And you couldn't be further from the truth. You were wrong, if you think that. Uh, first of all, you got up, got ready, uh, and came to church, or are listening here today. Uh, you got up and did that because you want to worship God, (laughs) not because I'm going to say something that specifically applies to your life. Hopefully it does, but whether it does or not, we're here to worship God this morning, and we're here to hear the word of God this morning. But also, the truth that we're specifically looking at today, while we want to definitely apply that to our marriages, it applies to any relationship that any of us have ever. Uh, So it will apply to anyone that is listening today. Uh, it just happens to particularly, particularly, I never can say that word, particularly apply to your spouse. This truth applies to your spouse. So uh, marriage, what's it like? <laughs> marriage is when you agree to spend the rest of your life sleeping in a room that's too warm. Besides someone who's sleeping in a room that's too cold. <laughs> sometimes it feels that way, sometimes not. Thankfully, my wife and I are temperatures our thermostats are fairly close, but you know, we honestly, we like to joke about marriage. It's, 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 it's easy to joke about marriage. It's fun sometimes to joke about marriage. Um, but I'll be honest with you. Here's, here's the truth when it comes to marriage. As far as I'm concerned, I was telling a young couple this, uh, this, this past Thursday evening, we were doing some premarital counseling and here's what I told them. The truth is marriage is awesome. That's the truth about marriage. We, we can joke about it, and I know it gets a bad rap in the world sometimes, and, and, and maybe even in the church. But marriage is awesome. I love it. it yes, it's hard. Yes, it's, it's work. Yes, it, it pushes you to grow, and it pushes you to change. Uh, but aren't things that matter to you the most, aren't those things that you had to work for? Things that, things that you had to, that had to strive for, you had to earn, you had to go through something to, to get those things. Don't those things matter more to you than anything? I mean, when you first got the first job you got, and you finally got a little bit of money, and you finally bought that thing that you wanted, didn't that thing mean more to you than if somebody would have just bought it for you? Marriage is difficult, but marriage is awesome. It stretches us, it grows us. Marriage should be the most committed, deep, trusting, lasting, growing, and fruitful relationship that you experience if you experience marriage. Now, again, I, always, I try to say this every time we talk about marriage in the church. It, that does not mean that you have to get married, and it doesn't mean that you're less than if you don't or that you aren't. Scripture is very clear on that. People, some people are called not to get married, and through that they are given a gift of time and energy and resources that they can devote towards something else. It's a ministry to not necessarily be married. But for those of us that are, and those of you that will be, which is most of you young folks that are here and that are listening, most of you will be, it is a very important and very deep and very strange but awesome relationship. And it affects probably more things in our society than anything else as far as relationships go. So we're often going to come back to this subject, not because... I'm an expert, but because I believe it's important. And you focus on, you spend time on, you spend effort on what is important. So I believe that marriage is important. So we're looking at Philippians 2 this morning, just a few short verses. Uh, we're We're looking at Philippians, which many people call the joy letter. The reason some people call that is because it talks about joy or rejoicing often, numerous times. When you read Philippians, if you've never noticed that before, read Philippians And take a look at how many times Paul says joy or rejoice. It's over and over and over and over. And one reason that that always sticks out to me is because Paul's writing this letter in prison. Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter to the Philippian church. It's in the early 60s uh, AD when he's writing this. He's waiting trial and eventually his own execution. And he's writing a letter to a church, and it, all he talks about, for the most part, is joy. Or the main thing he talks about is joy. I love that. And Paul, right before we pick up this morning in verse 12, Paul has just finished the crescendo of the letter. It's the, it's the peak, it's the pinnacle, it's the climax of the, latter, the letter. It is the main point of what he is saying. He's talking about Jesus. And right after that, we pick it up in verse 12, but we will come back to that in just a little bit. So if you'll go with me there. Paul uh, Philippians chapter two verse twelve. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with tre- with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like the stars in the world. By holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you in the same way you should also be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul says, therefore, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed. So now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. Now, again, that therefore is there because of what he has just said about Jesus, which again, we'll get to in just a second, but he says, therefore, because of Jesus, dear friends, you've always obeyed in my presence, but now also Do it even more in my absence. Paul says, hey, you were doing well in obedience whenever I was there. While I was there with you, starting this church and growing this church and discipling this church, you were doing well. But now in my absence, keep it up. Keep it up even more. It's just a reminder, church, that you are not following a man. You are not following a man. You're not following me. We are following Jesus. It's not something that you do Only to please me, don't do it to please me. Whatever you do when you're following Jesus and you're obeying his word, you're following him. It's not for me. It's not for any particular faith leader. Your faith can't be in a ministry leader. The church, this church, this church was here well before me. And hopefully it will be here long after me, God willing. It's not about me. It's not about anybody that stands here and and, and brings a word from the Lord. It's not about that. It's not about any leader per se, Paul says. Even more in my absence, he says, we must obey even more, even when the, the leader's not there. He says your faith must be more sound than that, must be more sound than in a person. Okay, uh, Wiersbe says that even the great saints have feet of clay. Even the great saints have feet of clay. We will not be here long. So you're not putting your faith in anything other than the everlasting truth of Jesus and at the same time it begs this question. It's not exactly what he's saying, but it definitely speaks to this truth. What ministry do you lead right now in this church? What ministry do you lead right now in this church? I want you to ask yourself an honest question. Will that ministry die with you because you have failed to have someone following you to carry that ministry on? Is your grip on that ministry so tight You love it so much, you care about it so much, that you're the only one that does it, you're the only one involved, you're the only one that's leading it, you're the only one that really knows the things that are going on, and you fail to have someone coming behind you, you fail to disciple someone to take that ministry over, if and when you aren't gonna be here because you and I eventually aren't gonna be here. So again, that's kind of a side note with that truth, but it definitely definitely applies. He says, in my absence, He says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. That's not really a hard thing for most of you, but for some people that is. It's not about working for your salvation. It's about working out your salvation. You don't have to do this, Paul's saying, to be saved. You do this because you are saved. And this relationship secret that we're looking at today in these, in these verses doesn't happen unless salvation comes first. And Paul reminds us of that here. Salvation comes first. Faith in Jesus as king over your life comes first. Conviction of sin and repentance of the heart comes first. Then work out your salvation. What does that mean? It just means to bring it to maturation, to mature Your salvation to bring it to a completion would be another another way to say it. Hear these words and put them into practice is the way Jesus said it. The wise man hears my words and puts them into practice. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. A deep, deep reverence and awe. A deep respect for God, for Jesus, for what he's done, for what he's going to do. With a deep respect for that we work out we bring to a completion our salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a daunting task to me, to bring my salvation to a completion, to work it out to maturity. That sounds like a hard thing for me to do. So, how can I do that? How do we do what we are called to do? I'll give you two words for that. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. He says, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Hello? (laughs) Nobody wants to be that person. Whoever that was, turn that off awfully slick because I couldn't even tell who it was. (laughs) Anyway, Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit. After salvation... Jesus' Holy Spirit is working in you to complete your salvation. See, see you, you didn't do anything to earn your salvation, and really and truly, in your own power, you can't do anything to work out and complete and mature your salvation. It's, it's the grace of God. It's the will of God. The Holy Spirit is in us, in you, if you've placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, repented from your sin, believe upon His name as the only name upon heaven, which every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess as Lord, both to will and to work. Both to will and to work. I love that part there at the end of that verse. So the Holy Spirit is working in us both to will and to work. In other words, to change your want to and to change what you do. Your will and your work. The Holy Spirit is working in that to change your want to, your will, your desire, and what you do because of that. According to whatever you desire, right? Isn't that what that verse says? According to whatever you desire or according to his good purpose. See, it's even better than that. Whatever you think is your great, awesome plan, your great, awesome will, whatever you think that is, God says, I'm thinking a little bit bigger than that. He tells us in Scripture that sometimes if He told us everything He planned to do, that we wouldn't believe it even if He told us. He says, I'm working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose, according to God's purpose. Not according to you or your will or your purpose, but it's even better than that. It's not a drag. I hate it when we act like that as a drag. Like, oh man... God's going to make me do this, or God's going to make me do... God's going to, God has got a plan for your life that is better than anything you could ever come up with on your own. Our job is just to obey as His Spirit reveals that in our lives. So with all that in, in mind, right? So because you follow God, not man, and in your deepest respect for God, and because of His Holy Spirit working in and through you to mature you and to complete the work of your salvation... To complete the work of your salvation is really just the purpose for you being alive. Because of all that, Paul says in verse 15, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Everything. Say that next to somebody that's sitting next to you. Say everything. Now turn to the other person that you didn't turn to and say everything. And everybody that's at home. Everybody that's at home, say it with me, everything, right? One more time. Everybody that's here, say it with me, everything, do everything without complaining or arguing. That pretty much sums it up. That's a pretty summative statement. That that uncovers that man. That That's all. That's That's everything, right? I mean, everything is everything. So if you come to me and you say, well... Can I complain about this? I'm going to say, well, is that part of everything? (laughs) Then no. No, the answer is no. Paul tells us here that we don't complain about anything because everything is is included in not complaining and not grumbling. To quote the great Charles Spurgeon, because I could never come up with something this good, he says, Those complain first in our churches who have the least to do. The gift of grumbling is largely dispensed among those who have no other talents or who keep what they do have wrapped up in a napkin. Now, that's pretty good. I'm not 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 as good as Spurgeon, but I can quote Spurgeon. I'm smart enough to do that. I mean, really, truly, if if you want something to complain about, I'll give you something to complain about. Chad, you'll appreciate this. Think about this. Here's something to complain about. Your bank deposits are protected by an agency, the FDIC, that's part of a federal government that is $22.8 trillion in debt. Think about that for a minute. If you want something to complain about, complain about that. Not to me. Go do it somewhere else. But there it is, Right? I really think Mark Twain said it best. Mark Twain has got some unbelievable quotes. I love his quotes, they're hilarious. And I've heard this said many different ways by many different people, but it actually is his quote. Mark Twain says, Don't complain and talk about your problems. 80% of people don't care, and the other 20% think you deserve to have them. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, that pretty much hits the nail on the head. And then, that, and then it gets to this, right? Why not complain? Well, because for one, it's a drag. That's why. And to drag. But really, who are you really complaining against? When we bellyache and when we argue, who are we really complaining against? When we murmur and grumble and complain, as it's so easy to do, who are we doing that against? We can go, we can go way back. Let's check out Exodus 20. This is Moses. Moses continued, The Lord will give you meat this evening. And more than enough bread in the morning. For he has heard the complaints that you are raising against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Whoo! Ouch. That hurt me. I didn't feel very good. It stung a little bit. Word of God does that sometimes. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Slosh you right open. That's what it'll do to us. Moses says, hey, you were slaves, now you're not slaves. But now you don't have enough or the most particular food to eat that you want. You want some meat. The fact that God's making bread fall from heaven, not enough for you. He heard you complaining. They thought they were complaining to Moses because Moses led them out of Egypt and out of slavery, right? Moses, it'd been better off if you just left us back there as slaves. At least we had food back there. At least we had meat. This miracle from God with this bread thing, that's cool. But man, Moses says, hey, you're not complaining against me or the church or another minister or any particular ministry. We're not complaining against those things. We're complaining, God says, against him. And he hears our complaints. Sometimes he gets absolutely fed up with them. But he hears your complaints. That hurt me. When I, when I read that, when I was getting ready for this, that, 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 that stung a little bit. Ultimately, if we're grumbling and murmuring and complaining, we're grumbling against the Lord. It's His world. It's His sovereignty. It's His rule. It's His universe. You think you can do a better job? Go start your own universe. Give it a shot. The amplified version of that verse, 2.14, you got to be careful careful with the amplified sometimes, but... What the Amplified Version does is just take everything the word could mean and then put that in parentheses. Sometimes, and many times, that really applies. Sometimes it's a little, they take it a little bit too far. But in this case, they hit the nail right on the head in the Amplified Version of of, uh, Philippians 2.14. It says, do everything without murmuring or questioning the providence of God. That's that's the implication of our murmuring, our questioning, our arguing, our complaining. That ultimately, we are just complaining that the way God is being God is not good enough for us. We don't really particularly like the way he is doing that. Let me give you a marriage stat. Psychologists studied newlyweds over the first decade of marriage. And they discovered that couples who stayed together uttered five or fewer put-downs in every hundred comments they made to each other. Five or fewer put-downs in every hundred comments they made together. So in other words, 95% of their comments to each other were positive or affirming or not complaining or grumbling or arguing. 95% of what they said to each other was not that. But couples who inflicted twice as many verbal wounds, 10 or more, Just 5 more percent, 10 or more put-downs out of every 100 comments later split up. That's all it took. Five put-downs or less, they stayed together. 10 or more in every 100 comments made to your spouse. In this particular study, which is an older study, it's probably worse than that now, split up over that one thing. And that's why I called it a secret earlier, or a key. It's key how we communicate with each other in our marriages. It's very important. I remember the first time that I did this publicly. It was just around family and friends, but I did this publicly to my wife. I thought it was funny at the time. I thought it was cute. When your wife looks at you back in, back with tears in her eyes later that night, when it's just you and her, and says, what you said hurt me. It'll change what you think is funny. Mm-hmm. So it's very clear. Science tells us these studies, and God's Word's been telling us for thousands of years. that complaining, and grumbling, and murmuring, and arguing, it doesn't do any good. It doesn't do any good. You say, well, what kind, of, what kind of God is this that we're not supposed to be questioning or complaining against? What kind of God is this? Well, that gets us back to the first therefore that we had in, in, in uh, verse 12. The first therefore. We're going to get to why it's therefore. <laughs> Some of y'all caught that. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. This is right before we picked up. Verse 5 in chapter 2 of Philippians. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, becoming a man, becoming a human being. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right before where we started this morning when Paul gives us this truth about how important it is not to complain and murmur and, and, and gripe. And wine would be another word. I need that in my office. A sign says "No whining." That's one of my philosophies. I hate that. I hate whining. Right before that, Paul says this. He says, "This is the God that you're complaining against. This is why he's not worth complaining against, because he is equal to God, because he is God. That's who we're obeying. That's who we're living for." A God that says, look, evil exists. What do we do about it? Well, what do you want to have happen to evil? It's an easy question. What do you want to have happen to evil? You want it gone, don't you? Anybody like evil being perpetrated against you? We want evil gone, right? What, the, what is the problem with evil, though? What is the problem with that sentiment? You and I are evil as well. The things you recognize in others that bother you... They bother you because they're in you too. Evil is in us just as much as it's in those in the world. Check this. God, wanting to do something about evil, came to earth as a human being, humbled himself to the point of death so that he could conquer evil without destroying you and without destroying me, which is what he could and maybe should, but thankfully he did not do. Now that's a God worth following. That's a God worth worshiping. That's a God worth living for. It's a God worth sacrificing for. And it's for sure a God worth not complaining against. For sure. That, that is for sure. So, Paul goes on. Don't complain or argue or complain or gripe or whatever, murmur, whatever word yours uses, all all the things. Don't do that because of who Jesus is and what he's done and the example he's given as a servant. And God has exalted him for doing it, which implies that he will do the same for you and I in eternity. And then he goes on. He says, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God. Do all those things so that... We are without without fault. Do all that so that you are blameless and pure. That does not mean so that you are perfect. Perfection is not the goal. Catch this, Christian. Perfection is not the goal. Sincerity is the goal. Sincerity is the goal so that you are blameless and pure. Don't complain and argue and gripe and all those things. Not so that the few times you do that, you can stand up and puff your chest and say, Look how perfect I am to the world. It's not about that. (laughs) We're not trying to be perfect. And pretending to be perfect just ruins the reputation of Christians and the church. We're trying to to be sincere. When someone says, why don't you complain? You say, because. And you tell them this. "Why Why didn't you argue with him when he brought that up? You know you were right about that. Because. It's not worth it. My witness is more worth it to me. And then when you do complain, they say... Why'd you complain that time? (laughs) Because I'm not perfect. (laughs) I want to live a witness for Jesus. I want to love you and to care for you and make a dent in this world and make an impact. But I'm not perfect. We don't have to walk around and pretend like we never complain. He's just saying don't do it as often as possible because it tears up and destroys our witness. Sincerity is the goal. So we're we're doing this to not be guilty of living just like everyone else. That's the point. Griping and complaining about anything that doesn't fit our precious picture of what life is supposed to be, we think. Think about it. If Jesus' spirit has birthed you anew, right? If the God-man spirit, if God has reborn you, you are reborn of God. Shouldn't you be different than the world? That's what he's saying right here. Do this one thing, don't gripe and complain, so that you are different than the world because you have my spirit living in you. You are my temple, my representative, my ambassador to this world. You should be different. Shouldn't we reflect and resemble our Heavenly Father's nature and not just blend in completely and exactly just? like the world and the way we treat each other and everyone around us and especially in our marriage he says children of god who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation that's a good one right there in a crooked and perverted generation what's the what's the emphasis we are to be in the world church we're to be in the world not of the world but in the world. We're not called to live in a separate compound. I know it's fun to joke about that, and one day I'll just go to the mountains and be myself, and life will be great, and life will be grand, or I'll just be a monk and be removed from all these problems and all that type of stuff. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be in the world, loving others, making a difference for God. And here's the thing who's to say living in a monastery would be any better? You ever thought about that? You think being away from people would be that much better? <laughs> I read this story. Check this out. There was a monk who joined a monastery that took a vow of silence. After 10 years, his superior called him in and says, hey, it's been 10 years now. You got anything to say? And the monk said, food bad. That was it. Another 10 years goes by. Monk gets called in. He says, you got anything else to say? He says, bed hard. Another 10 years goes by. He brings him in and says, hey, got anything else to say? The monk says, I quit. And the superior says, that doesn't surprise me a bit. All you've done since you got here is complain. (laughs) We are called to live out and work out our salvation in the world, right? Among whom you shine like stars in the world. We are called to shine like stars. The way we treat each other, the way we treat each other without complaining and grumbling should stand out. And trust me, especially in 2021, it will stand out if you live your life without grumbling and complaining on a regular basis. It will stand out. It will shine like a big bright star in a dark, dark night. And nowhere else, church, can you make a bigger difference or shine brighter than in a joyful marriage. Nothing will stand out like that in this world. There are some things that may shine as bright or make as much difference, but nothing will make more of a difference than the church, Christians, living out a joyful marriage in their day-to-day lives without complaining and without gripping, without making jokes about the old lady or making jokes about the old man. You'll stand out. Trust me. And for this to happen... We first have to have the Spirit in us at salvation to begin with. That's first. But to continue for that to happen, Paul says in verse 16 that we do this by holding firm to the word of life. The gospel. <laughs> that God loves you enough to come to, to this world and die for you. We hold firm to that word of life. Which means we have to be in the word of life on a regular basis. We've talked about that before. Four times a week or more statistically shows a huge difference in Christians. Four times a week or more, a majority of your time, you spend a little bit of time in the Word, it will affect your life dramatically when we hold firm to the Word of life. We must hold firm to the good news, the gospel, that all of this suffering in this world is eventually going to be worth it because Jesus has already defeated it. He's just waiting for it to come to completion. He's giving. He's waiting until that last person is going to say yes. And once God knows, it's gotten to the last person that's going to say yes to this good news. Come on. Come on with it. Paul says, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor in vain. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service... Of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Paul says very humbly that I'm just a drink offering. The main offering that's your faith. That's what you're doing. Maybe I'm a little bit of a drink offering poured on top of that. Paul just showing his his genuineness there. He says, "And I'm glad and rejoice with all of you." And then it finishes the section that we looked at today. It finishes with this. Excuse me. In the same way, you should also be glad. And rejoice with me. And that's what we'll finish with today. You should be glad and rejoice with me. Me being Paul. Me being me. Me being you. We should rejoice and be glad. Paul is, is, is clearly making a distinction of opposites. You can either grumble and complain and murmur and whine or... You can be glad and rejoice with me. They're opposites of each other. They don't go together. You will never complain your way into happiness. You will never gripe your way into rejoicing. They are opposites of each other. And God has called us to a joy of salvation. And it is incongruent with griping and complaining. So, check this. On her golden wedding anniversary, grandmother revealed to the family the secret of her long and happy marriage. She said, on my wedding day, I decided to choose 10 of my husband's faults, which for the sake of our marriage, I would always overlook. She explained that to their family. And there was a guest there. And the guest asked, can you name some of those faults? She said, to tell you the truth, I never got around to listing them. I never got around to listing them. But whenever my husband did something that got me hopping mad, I would say to myself, lucky for him, that's one of the ten. (laughs) It's a decision we make, Christian. It's a decision we make, brother and sister. It's a decision to not complain, not grumble, to choose gladness and rejoicing. So here's my challenge for all of us. For one whole week, one whole week, one whole week, no complaining challenge. Now, specifically, that challenge is going out to every single married couple in this church, first and foremost, no complaining or arguing or grumbling for one whole week with your spouse. But I know some of you aren't married yet or aren't married anymore, either way, or have never been married, whatever the case may be. So for you, pick a very important relationship in your life. For kids, it could be a teacher, or a coach, or mom or dad, they will appreciate that. For a widow, it could be your neighbor, right? It could be anyone, it could be your boss, or that employee that drives you absolutely insane, you know who he is. One whole week, church. Let's see if we can walk into this building next week and all of us gone a whole week with either not complaining or arguing with our spouse or that other important relationship if you're not married. And let's see if we walk in here with a little bit more of a lightness, a little bit more joy in our heart, a little bit more of the corners of our mouth turned the correct direction, whatever the case may be. Now, I'm not saying that we aren't like that. <laughs> not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is I know that through the Spirit of the Lord I need to work on this a lot. And I do not consider myself a whiner or a complainer. At least not outwardly very much, right? God says he goes way past just our outward actions and he drills straight down into our heart. So maybe it's just our complaining in our heart and our grumbling in our heart we need to stay away from this week. But one week, church, one week, no complaining challenge. That's the challenge, and we'll see how it turns out next Sunday. If some of you walk in with a black eye, we'll know it didn't work out. I'm... Do what? Force, force, that's between you and the Lord. You and the Lord. Do it again. Don't you want to do it again? It's hard, isn't it? Yeah, That sounds like you're complaining. (laughs) I'm not complaining, I'm just pointing out a fault. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll finish up this uh, this service in song. And uh, I will be down here should you need to pray. Uh, with me, but I would highly advise you to pray for the Spirit of the Lord to work through you and in you so that you have halfway possibility of making it to the car (laughs) without complaining or arguing, much less this week. Lord, we come to you today, we thank you, we thank you that your way is best, God, and we fail to see that so often, and you're so patient with us, you're so patient with us, God, I do not know how you do it. I do not know how you put up with me. And now you put up with all of us that claim to follow you, Lord. But I thank you that you do. Lord, I thank you that you do. And I pray that we would be a sh- bright shining star in the dark of night, Lord, that shines bright for your glory. And you tell us a very specific way that we can do that is to not complain or grumble, God. So please work in our hearts and give us the desire. To not complain and grumble, Lord. But instead to choose joy, gladness, rejoicing. Because we all know that we want more of that in our life. And you tell us very specifically how that can take place, Lord. And we know it can only take place through your strength, Lord. And we want to do your will. And we thank you again for the, how short we fall of completing your will, God. We thank you and we love you. We thank you that salvation is the beginning of our joy, Lord. The moment that we come to salvation new faith in you, for eternity with you. And we pray that your spirit will complete and mature that salvation in us and through us until you're ready to call us home, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.